Now on Drama on News Talk, a drama musical comedy about a tourist town entertainer, Danny Boylan, created by Desi Walls. This is The Piano Man. Despite the rain lashing down, the windshield wipers on high speed for hours, and their coats drenched, dashing car door to bar door. Come on! The moment they step inside, their spirits lift. The whole room is singing, It never rains in Ireland! It never rains at all! In such a green land, I don't understand how it never rains at all! Is this it? The old red. Yes. Above the door, it says the red door in. Welcome to Ireland. For hours now, they've been meeting in there. Red. Nancy's office down the corridor. <laughs> Him and her, what, what they're meeting for? for? He's trying to paint a crime on me. You should be the jury. Yes, we should. You will find me guilty. Of course we would. A farce guilt, an arse guilt. That sounds good. Baby, won't you dance with me? In years to come, as I pass that red door, I'll be saying, I used to work there. I'll miss it. Though it's not the place I'll miss, is it? It's you. Even though my heart is broken. A sad song. The way you'd be passing along the street, you'd peek in to check the buzz, and you'd like what you saw, so you'd stay. I know it breaks so it can open to let a universal light shine in. Or someone at breakfast would suggest, go down to the old red, you got to see that fella's goings on to believe it. Carefully doesn't throw you out, though. They say I threw out a young couple for kissing. Nah. I just said you two should get a room, and they left. They took your advice. Though a million tears are falling, from a distance voices calling, come on, let the show begin. Early every evening, you roll in, look around, and though you immediately clock that there are only 27 seats and a hundred of you, standing room only, you stay. And so we're swinging from the rafter, singing happy ever after, happy ever after to my love. And then we dance as if it mattered, until our little dreams are shattered, and a universal light shines in. And we all go The bar manager thinks if we hid the piano in a dark corner, we'd fit more people in. Except you'd all be across the road. And see that bar manager, George? He hates me. Drives him crazy every night I take a jar, pint beer glass like this, and demonstrate what Billy Joel taught me to do with it. Na 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 na. I place the jar on this table and magically it goes all around the room, in and out of every corner until finally it ends up on this table. Full of money. Must ask Billy how that works. Na 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 na. And every time that pint glass bulging with your notes passes right under George's nose. He's not one bit pleased. Have you, yes, been trained at the Corinthian Hotel, Whitehall Place, London? No, I have to admit, I have not. And yet, the very next evening, 
as that pint jar rumbles merrily around the room. You, my stalwarts, fighting over who can shove the biggest, fattest euro notes into it. Once more, it passes under George's chubby little nose, and I find... Despite his tendency to bang the counter with his fists, causing pints of lager to leap angrily into the air like liquid ballerinas, despite his narrowed piercing eyes threatening to penetrate my artistic soul, while he mouths the words, just you wait, Henry Higgins, just you wait, despite all that, I find I have sympathy for the man. I mean, think about it. No self-respecting manager trained at the Corinthia Hotel, Whitehall Place, London, wants it flaunted in front of his staff and the general public that he earns less than the piano man, does he now? So let the birds fly, let the fish swim, let the wind blow, let it blow, and let the rain fall and let the sun shine, and if love runs, let it go. Cause even though my heart is broken I know it breaks so it can't open To let a universal light shine And though a million tears are falling From a distant voice is calling It all began early last year I had been abroad honing my skills on populations with limited English You were in America? I'm sorry ma'am Personally, I find the way your nation speaks incredibly awesome. Thank you. Do you know the Wild Rover? He does. But it's no, nay, never. No, nay, never, no more. Will it play the Wild Rover? No, never, no more. I had just arrived from Holland where I had collected my piano bike. What's a piano bike? I was hoping you'd ask. A piano bike is a piano and bike combination. We'd never have guessed. The handlebars and front wheel of the bike having been removed, the bike is attached to the piano below the keys. The piano part has a wheel on each side. You paddle and play as you go. How do you steer it? With your ass. (laughs) Thank you, Fran. I love an educated audience. Later on, I'm circling the town on the piano bike singing, It never rains in Ireland. Of course, it's pissing down. There are gangs of people standing in the doorways, pints swinging side to side, singing. Nobody drinks in Ireland. Nobody drinks at all. Wherever you are, you won't find the bar, because nobody drinks at all. I spot this woman on the corner holding an umbrella. She's about 60 years old, 40 foot tall. I'm exaggerating, she's only 50 years old. She signals to me and I apply the brakes. Could you use an umbrella? Thank you. She holds it easily over my head. By now, a crowd have gathered in the corner. And the rain is Spain, it's worse than Bahrain. It's positively pissing in Greece. And the last time that I spoke with Saddam Hussein, the water was up to his knees. is easy. The tall woman shakes her umbrella, then shakes my hand, saying, I'm Nancy Crowley. That's my little bar and hotel over there, with the red door. Take a break, lad. Hop into the old red and get yourself lunch and a drink on me. (laughs) That's if you're allowed to drive this machine under the influence. So a half hour later, I'm scuffing down a plate of lunch by the open door, keeping a watchful eye on the piano bike. In comes Nancy. I knew you were here, because I saw your horse tethered across the road. She sits, and in no time, the idea of me doing gigs at the red door comes up. 
Next thing, there's a sign reading here tonight, Danny Boy. My name is Boylan, but Nancy knocks off three letters to appeal to the Irish Americans. The roads are just perfect in Ireland. There are no bumps, big or small. Just lovely tarmac without even one crack. No bloody potholes at all. And all the men are hung like horses. Sorry, I don't know how that line sticks. <laughs> What are you laughing at, man? Do you know something we don't know? But it never rains in Ireland. It never rains at all. But wherever you are, run into a bar. If it ever should rain, if it ever should rain, if it ever should rain at all. End of my first season, Nancy is over the feckin' moon. She loves having the busiest bar in town. She treats me to a celebratory lunch and halfway through her blood-rare steak, she thrusts her knife towards me. Do you know what you are, lad? What am I, says I? You are a people magnet. And do you know my favourite song? Ting, 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 ting. Do I play? Oh, you mean like a cash register? Ting, 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 ting. All night long. Ting, 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 ting. It's a favourite song. Put the money in the till, hear the cash roll ring. That's the way she likes it. Ting, 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 ting. Do you think next year we could do even better? Yes, I do. I've lots more ideas. Great. Draw up detailed plans and bring them to my office. So I work all week. I get a draftsman friend to make perfect drawings. Then with a large peel and seal gusset envelope under my arm, I knock on the door of Nancy's office. Anybody home? What do you mean by anybody? Nancy isn't there, but I hand the package to her secretary. What's your name, I ask, to be polite? Estelle. The girl seems to squeeze the word out from between her teeth as though she begrudges parting with it. That's a lovely name, I reply. Estelle. You'll remember it next time then, will you, Mr. Piano Man? Of course I will, says I, moving to the door. I never forget names nor faces. Have you met the new bar manager, George? <laughs> That's a name you won't forget, says she. Slamming the door delicately. First day of the new season, I parked the car in the square and strolled up Main Street in the spring sunshine. I am a people magnet, obviously proud. It works both ways. I'm attracted to the crowd. Ting, 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 ting. That's when I bump into my friend Kate. A cute whore, that one. Kate was the manager at the Old Red last year, but she up and married Kelvin, the boy from the bar next door, knowing that Kelvin's parents had retired and left the place to him. I'm not saying that's the reason Kate married the lad, but the bar's now called Kate and Kelvin, so... Kate punches me in the shoulder. Hey, Danny. Hope you boys will be having as fine a crack this year as we done last year. Nay, lass, without you it'll be shit. She punches me again. We're making changes in the bar, I tell her. We're making more room by moving the serving area to where their nook used to be and we're raising some of the floor so that my piano will be higher. Is herself in on all them plans you have? Of course. Nancy is the driving force behind it all. Right. We'll have to settle for them crumbs which fall from your lofty table. I'm laughing now as I stride up the street. Entering through the side door, I saunter into the bar where I instantly notice... Definitely no changes at all. Not a sock. The serving area is the same. The piano is flat on the floor as before. 
Did I misunderstand something, or could it be that Nancy's needing further consultations with me? While I'm musing over this, a little white piano is trying to catch my attention. Shame, I haven't even said hello. Hey, everybody! Welcome to the show! Nice that you turned up for our rehearsals! The whole thing is live, and good news beside is hardly any breaks for commercials. It has to be a happy song so everyone can sing along And then no matter what the day may bring You have made a happy start and somewhere in your happy heart You'll find a happy song that you can sing Ah, rumpy doodle deedle title, rumpy doodle deedle title, rumpy doodle deedle title Am I imagining? No! There's a wooden monstrosity plumped in the doorway of the bar, cutting off the room from the street, cutting off my piano from the whole corner of seats I could see before, but I can't see now! Whose idea was this? Nancy comes running in, accompanied by a man in a red tie and blue striped shirt. Haven't I suffered enough? I point to the confessional and open my mouth, but nothing comes out. Nancy's excitedly clapping her little hands together, except they're as big as two fickin' shovels. This is George, our new bar manager. It's his idea. George, that's George. George, I say. Where'd you come up with this brilliant concept? He's delighted to have been asked. You see, towards the end of last season, I was around the place incognito. I noticed something you may have missed. I want to scream I do not miss anything in my theatre, except... George may not yet recognise this as my theatre. Often on warm evenings, the door to the street would be left open for air. People would take advantage of this, standing technically outside the premises on the footpath, but sticking their heads inside the premises to partake of the musical entertainment without so much as buying a drink. I told Nancy to put in this porchway. Porchway? He's calling it a porchway? Perhaps he's a Protestant who's never actually seen a confessional box. George, says I... Did it strike you that they were not so much sticking their heads into the bar as sticking their arses out so the whole town would be saying, what's going on is the old red, all them arses sticking out onto the street? Was it not obvious some such inspired marketing strategy was at work? Huge billboards those stuck-out arses were, George. And all you could think of was how to get each arse to buy a and drink. Can I ask you something, Danny? Yes, Francesca? Did you really say all that? I was thinking it. But you didn't. You know, people, when the boss is present and it not been clear yet where our reconstruction plans stand and how this George fellow will fit in. You chicken, dear. I asked Nancy, could she see how this thing might cause a section of my audience to have difficulty seeing me? Everyone doesn't need to see your pretty face, says George, and Nancy laughs. They only need to hear you. Oh, you're right, says I. I should probably just do my whole show on the radio then. You said that neither, did you? What I said was... Nancy, this is going to make my job harder. You'll get by, says she. You'll use your ingenuity. Alone, moments later, I'm thinking, is that all that's required of me in life, to get by? Seems like a fierce waste of ingenuity. It has to be a happy song, so everyone can sing along. Then no matter what the day may bring, you have made a happy start, so somewhere in your happy heart you'll find a happy song that you can sing. 
Polly put the poly put the poly put the kettle on. Polly put the poly put the poly put the kettle on. Polly put the poly put the poly put the kettle on. Polly put the poly put the poly put the kettle on. Every Friday evening, Andy breathes. We know Andy. Everyone knows Andy. At seven o'clock, out there on the footpath, he waits. At precisely 7.02, a car slows down and through the lowered window is passed a bulging wage packet. Swivelling 180 degrees, Andy strides through the red door, straight to the bar, cheerfully remarking, I should have shares in this place. And in a fairer world, he would have. He works hard. In fact, he's so busy lowering pints, he doesn't notice three hours have passed and the show is starting. And he leaps from his barstool. Ladies and gentlemen, ladies and gentlemen, you've got to listen to this fella. He's absolutely brilliant. His songs are great. He's better than the Beatles, and I should know that. Because I'm from Liverpool, so you've got to listen. You've got to listen to Everyone's this listening, Andy. I tell him, except you. I'm trying to help you out here, Danny. All I'm saying to them is sit down, don't say a word, and listen. You just got listen. yourself a public relations man, Danny. Do you see those people, Andy? Yeah, I'm telling them you're great. Are they already here? They are, yeah. And the people across the road? At the Purple Parrot. Are they here? No. Should I tell them to come over? And when they come over? People from the purple. Don't come with them. Move on to the next place. Should I go to every bar in town? You're brilliant, Andy. I notice at this point George has given me a filthy look from behind the counter, but job done. As Andy leaves, he's rehearsing his lines. Ladies and gentlemen, you've got to go to the red door and listen to Danny. You just got Beware to listen to his songs. Beware of music. Can I stay for this one? No. And pretty girls with pretty names. Oh, all right. <laughs> Don't take her walking on a beach at night. Holding hands and singing in the rain. Because you might wake up next morning with moonlight on your brain. After the gig that night, George starts in on me. Why did you throw Andy out? I sent him on a mission. A mission to spend his money elsewhere? Why do you keep serving him when you know he's an alcoholic? Oh, I see. It's okay for Andy to be an alcoholic in every other bar in town, just not here. I'm not responsible for every other bar. You're not responsible for this one, mate. For the entertainment, I am. Oh, funny that. I thought Andy was the most entertaining thing we'd had in weeks. He's a howl, George. Have you seen his follow-up act where he falls on a table full of glasses and splits his face open? Blood everywhere. It's hilarious. People rolling in the aisles. I know he hasn't done that one for us in a while, but on your night off, you can catch it at the Horny Savage. Why do you always find ways to disperse our best customers to the four corners of the county? Free drinks at the Frisky Nun, happy hour at Kate and Kelly. Because at those places, George, there are fewer people to fall over. Have you noticed even on Monday nights... The rest of the bars have no one in them. Except the lads you've sent over. We're packed. Packed with coffee drinkers. Point of order, ladies and gentlemen. If you have a drink in front of you, would you mind raising it and singing? Nobody drinks in Ireland. Nobody drinks As they thought, not a coffee mug to be seen. George goes on. Do the maths, Daniel. 16 pints a night by 365 days a year by the number of big drinkers in town comes to... A lot of bar fights. Last year, when Kate was in charge, we had a system. When someone was getting too messy, I'd signal and they wouldn't be this served. Year, I have ordered my staff not to take directions from the piano player. You'd be proud of young Caroline, then. The other night, I'm waving at her. Don't serve Mickey Sull. He can hardly stand up. 
But George, that brave wee girl, fixes me with a scornful eye as she positions the glass under the tap, pointedly draws back the lever, holding hard, only releasing when the contents are already overflowing onto her hand, causing the poor wee thing to drop the glass, which smashes the smithereen, stout splattering everywhere. Yet loyal servant that she is, she whips out another glass, and this time, looking anywhere but at me, she completes her task. Mickey Sol gets his pint. I get told where I stand on the totem pole. Did you ever tell George about the little fishes? Four little fishes behind the bar A customer comes up to order Then swishing their tails like a synchronized show They flishity flash out the door there Little fishes Little fishes Little fishes Two little fishes passing through Trying not to catch your eye Excuse me, miss, could we order a few? But she fishily flashes by Little fishes Little fishes Little fishes Little fishes To settle our differences, George and I meet with Nancy in her chambers. She strikes a judicious pose. All that's missing is her wig and gown. After listening to her complaint, she looks each in the eye and says, You do your job, you do your job. Don't do his job. Focus on your own. But I am the manager. I am the manager. I am the manager of the you bar. You do your job. You do your job. Don't do his job. Is that so hard? I stare out the window at passing clouds, which seem to contain my unspoken thoughts. Who is the customer? That is what I'm asking. Is it for us to estimate her worth? Do we stand by every table and monitor consumption? Or recognize that we are here to serve? I'm talking with some visitors. One of them is asking, what does Cade Milafoyta mean? It means you are welcome 100,000 times and next year we hope to see you here again. Now my audience and I have exited the building. Spontaneously we've joined a marching band. All along the street you can hear the people cheering as they wave the flags of freedom from the stands. Ah, who is the citizen? What does she believe in? Are the many subjected to the few? Do the powerful have the right to trample on the rest? Or is the revolution overdue? Wake up! Snaps George, and I crash back to reality. Nancy is standing to see us out, repeating, You do your job, you do your job. Just then, her assistant Estelle passes in and sweetly coos. Hello, George. Did you say she sweetly coos? I did. <laughs> sweetly coos. Uh, Jesus, Danny, if you say that again, I'm going to have to puke on your piano. Go ahead. The more, the merrier. Did someone? Yes, Mairead. One night shortly after that meeting with Nancy, these two boys, totally pissed out of their skulls, one standing one end of my piano and the other at the opposite end, were having a loud conversation. I bluff not at all! They're controlling all the tin, only to see them. What? 
I don't tell them to be quiet. That is not your job. I don't ask them to leave. That is not your job. But through the gap between them, I belt out. Can you hear me? Can you hear me? Oh, we want to know crack. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We can't hear you. Lads are now having trouble hearing each other because of our singing, so they turn the volume up. I could suggest they move their conversation to the corridor. That is not your job. By now, the total cacophony of voices is beyond ridiculous. I'm thinking this can't go on. So I slap my mouth shut. Silent as a Trappist monk. But the boys are still in full flow. So you told them to fuff off? Of course I did. I told him to go fuff himself. Jesus, that's a bit rough. Twas his father's funeral. Twas my father's funeral too, boy. I know, and my father along with it. I'm tempted to say that's a lot of fathers and funerals, but they're beginning to notice the silence. Keep your voice down, Paddy. Why are you shouting at me? I'm not shouting at you, man. You're shouting at me. It's got fierce quiet in here. It has. Why is everyone listening to us? Why is everyone listening to our private conversation? We're not listening, says I. We're just waiting our turn to talk. He screams. You bastard. This, it turns out, is too much for his stomach, because he now projectile vomits down the length of my piano, covering every key black and white with slime. His brother Paddy, trying to escape the gunk, pushes the whole caboodle away from himself and it topples right onto my foot. Some of you lift the piano while the two boys are hearing it out the door. George arrives to witness that nobody's dead and all he adds is, I'll get back to doing my job. Next day, Nancy reconvenes the meeting. I'm sorry about what happened to you, Denny, but George tells me you brought this on yourself. Couldn't you have simply asked those men to move away from your piano? That's not my job, Nancy. Were you eavesdropping on their private conversation? Nancy says I, with the volume those two were at, you'd need to be two blocks away to call it eavesdropping. Well, now we've got a problem. The man's wife, the wife of the fella who dropped the piano on your foot, is worried you might bring charges against her husband. So the lady has asked... If you would sign this letter saying the whole thing was a misunderstanding. I'll gladly sign her letter. Oh, good, says Nancy, offering a pen, which I grab, telling her, I've nothing against these men. It's not an easy time when your father has just been buried. Thanks, Danny, says Nancy, and everyone is happy, until George, arms folded across his chest like chief sitting bull, opens his fat mouth. If that man is charged in court, he'll lose his job. He won't be charged anywhere, George. I'm signing the feckin' paper. Well, this incident won't be forgotten. Excuse me, George. I am signing a piece of paper to say precisely that this incident will be forgotten. That's right. Urges <laughs> Nancy, all the time nudging my hand to get the letter signed more quickly. This is where George should keep stumb, but does not. Listening in on a customer's private conversation is the most unprofessional behaviour. Aren't we forgetting about that too? When it never happens again in my bar ever is when I'll forget about it, says Thicko. So I put the pen down, whisper sorry to Nancy and slip quietly out the door. Did I do the right thing? If we were the jury and we should be, we would find him guilty because he would be of a logical, monological, that's not good, Lee, can anybody do the mambo? 
Do the powerful have the right to trample on the rest? Or is the revolution overdue? I'm asking for a friend. This afternoon, as I'm passing the green bench on Main Street across from the post office, my phone rings. My sister says Ma has been taken ill. She's not in immediate danger, but Bridget wants us all to pitch in with minding her. Sorry to hear that. It's not easy. My mother passed away last year. I know, Mairead. I know. Lovely woman. Look, I'm not going into a personal story for your sympathy, though I appreciate it. But it's what happened next. While I'm still on the phone, George appears out of nowhere, plonks himself on the green bench while indicating via hand signals that he needs to speak to me. I turn my back on him, hoping he'll go away, but when I hang up, he's still there. What do you want, I snap. Sit down. How sociable, George. I'm more used to you crossing the street to avoid my company. I sit down, and immediately I want to get up again. George takes a deep breath like someone getting ready to broach a heavy subject, but as he does, my phone rings again. I leap up. Sorry, George, it's my brother. Can we talk later? Again, the hand signals. He'll wait. Jerry and I speak fondly of our mother, and by the time we hang up, there's a sort of family plan in place. Trying to include George, I say, I learned a lot from my mother. He responds, We're losing money. Notice the subtle segue there? Who, says I, is losing money? Sit down. I sit. Who's losing money? The bar. The old red. We're losing money. Really? With the same crowds last year, we were raking it in. Ting, 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 ting. He ignores this. I spoke to the accountant. Seems I'm paying you too much. You need to take a 20% cut. At that moment, my friend Kate is passing. Small town. And now she's standing right above us. I grab the excuse to get up and stand beside her, giving me the moral courage to tell George what I'm really thinking. If you can't make a profit from a bar which is packed to the rafters every single night of the pickin' week, could it be you're in the wrong line of work? And with that, Kate and I toddle off. Let's grab a coffee. She says, skipping along towards our favourite cafe off the beaten track. I have to stride out to keep up with her. You take that. Says Kate, dancing ahead up the road. I'll set up the coffees. Hello? Five minutes later, I join Kate at the table. Well, who was it? I don't know what's going on. You know Estelle? The one who makes cooing noises at George? Nancy's secretary. So Nancy wants to see you? Before the gig tonight. George will have got to her. Looks like it. So this could be your last show? I don't like that. Kate, I've just realised something. What? Kate! You said that. I know why that girl hates me. You do? You know how you get used to seeing a person in familiar surroundings? Yeah? Estelle behind a desk. Estelle answering a phone. I'm sorry Nancy's not in at the moment. May I take a message? Well, that's how I've always seen Estelle, the perennial secretary. Aye. But now I've suddenly realised before that I'd encountered the girl in a different way. Oh, no. Nothing like that. I want you to imagine Estelle dressed up and ready to go out on the town. Got that? Mm-hmm. Clickety-clack heels, she decides to meet her friends in the bar at the place where she works. The Red Door Inn? The Old Red. There's a piano player playing as she clickety-clack enters. She turns her back to the piano and starts rabbiting on about handbags and shoes and other accessories in a loud voice until suddenly she realises that the whole crowd are yelling something at her and her friends. Fake off crows! This is about the farmer who is all a silage wrapped in huge black bags. That's the one. And across the bags, writ large in white paint, are the words feck off crows. Which is a waste of time because everyone can read the farmer's sign. Except the feckin' crows. So I'm politely asking this circuit of clickety clackety hens to keep it down. The audience are trying to enjoy the show. Everyone hears my request for order. Except the feckin' crows. 
So the crowd, with encouragement from you, starts shouting, Fake off, crows! It takes her a second. But once Estelle realises this chant has been directed at her group by a room full of strangers, she loses it. She turns at me like it's my fault and screams, You don't know who I am, do you? But I know who you are, Mr Piano Man. Just you wait, and Regans. Just you wait. Were you there? Aye. Behind the bar. Yeah, you would have been. So Estelle storms out with her entourage, clickety-clack, and I instantly forget the whole incident. Never realising, one day it'll come back to bite you in the arse. A few months later, I see Estelle at the office for what I think is my first encounter with the girl. She is sarky with me, so I should have sensed something's up. But I put her sarcasm down to a bad day she's having, and I hand her that vitally important envelope for Nancy, with all my big plans in it, not realising... It's the same wee girl you treated like shut. Then just now on the phone it all clicks. Estelle has given me a message that Nancy wants to see me before my gig tonight when, sounding more like the Wicked Witch of the West than Eliza Doolittle, she whispers, You was warned, Henry Higgins, she was warned. <laughs> and she hangs up. So you're thinking Estelle never passed those plans along to Nancy? Of course she didn't pass those plans along to Nancy. Shh! You're not on stage now. So when Nancy doesn't receive anything from you, she deduces that you can't really depend on piano players except to play pianos and talk loud. And based on that, she immediately transfers all her trust to a bar manager who has been trained at the Corinthia Hotel, Whitehall Place, Feckin' London. Because you, you agent, never checked if Nancy had gotten the package. I didn't think it was necessary, seeing as her loyal assistant had received it on her behalf. You poor wee boy. You deserve all you get. At least now I know what happened. Bit late. Because tonight, especially after how you spoke to him just now, George will have you fecked out. But hey, you can come and play at our place. Caden Kelvin's? Yeah, play for Kelvin and me. Due respect, but Kelvin is how I spell conservative with a capital K. Well, he just thinks you could tone the language down a wee bit. And wear a suit. Oh, he'd look good in one. But I got a better plan. I'm listening. Nancy doesn't know that Kelvin won't have you playing over at ours. So? She may be resigned to losing her paper magnet. But she won't want him moving next door. That's true. Await my instructions. Don't go to the office. Just do your show. You're good at that. Polly put the polly put the polly put the kettle on. Polly put the polly put the polly put the kettle on. Polly put the polly put the polly put the kettle on. George is in the office with the boss woman, trying to make the charges stick. Is he a witness? Is he the prosecution? Is he just a silly prick? Francesca, you can't say that whenever you criticise George. The little fishes go flishity-wishity. Can't wait to report to the court. Little fishes! Little fishes! Little fishes! Don't you feel sometimes like you're in a Gilbert and Sullivan musical? Yeah, but where do we get a drink? Since those little fishes disappeared, whoosh, there's no bar service. Here's Estelle. Can you serve behind the bar? I have a message for you from Nancy. You didn't go to her office like I told you. That's right. While you're here, Estelle, can you give Nancy a message for me? You're great at delivering messages from her to me, but in the past, it hasn't gone too well in the opposite direction. I don't know what you're talking about. Yes, you do. You've been rehearsing this. Just for you. We leave nothing to chance. Obviously true. Baby, won't you dance with me? That's nonsense music. No wonder Nancy wants you out. Give me the letter, I'll give it to her. Don't open it. Us wee northern girls are best. Better than the cork girls, better than the rest. Better than the capital, better than the west. What you gonna do about it, hey? 
the last order. I know a lovely barmaid. She's really very nice. She always gives a pleasant smile when she's serving pints. She cleans the ashtrays if they're dirty, as if we're all right. She's such a lovely barmaid. It really makes my night. But when it comes to closing time, there's a strange metamorphosis. How many susses in that? Six. Where is that smiling barmaid who took our money off us? She's turned into a monster who walks around and shouts, Drain that glass, shift that ass, will you all get out? Drain that glass, shift that ass, will you all go out? Oh, Mrs. Barmaid, why are you so fickle? You loved us all at half past nine, but now it's come to closing time. You want us all to trickle out the door. But we want more, we want more, we want more, we want more. We want one more pint in each hand, one more song from the band. Poor lady, don't you understand? We want more. And this is what the bar lady says to me. Get married to me, young fella. I'm only doing me job. I suppose you have a better way to clear this feckin' mob. Have yous no homes to go to? Will yous look at the cut of the clock? Drain that glass, shift that ass, will yous all clear off? Drain that glass, shift that ass, will yous all clear off? Drain that glass, shift that ass, will yous all go home? Here comes George. What's going on in here? George, you've been missing the going-away party of the year. Who's going away? That's the big question. And here's Nancy. So the boss invited me to go to her office, but I countered with an offer for her to come here and meet you, the people she really needs to hear from. Yes. We should be the jury, no doubt we should. We should find him guilty, of course we would. A shenanigan, bananigan, understood. Makes me want to do the can-can. Sometimes I can't control them, Nancy. It's like they have a mind of their own. Why is Kate behind my counter? Because no one else was here, George. You should check with me first. I sent the girls home. The little fishes? Because they were very upset and it's past closing time. What little fishes? It's nothing, George. You know when there's four people behind the bar, looking like servers, but when a customer approaches, they all flushity flash disappear like a shoal of little fishes. Little fishes! We have to put up with this, Nancy. There's more urgent issues, George. Kate has had a word with Nancy, George. She has made the lady aware that if she is finished with me in here, she can set me up in there. She can set him up. She can set him up. She can set him up in there. She can set him up. She can set him up. She can set him up in there. And George, I suspect you've been informed that if you don't want me no more, you could send me off to some distant land. She wouldn't want me playing next door. She wouldn't want to play. She wouldn't want to play. She wouldn't want to play next door. I can't go next door. That's in his contract. Do I have a contract, Nancy? We never bothered, did we? She wouldn't want to play. She wouldn't want to play. She wouldn't want to play next door. Thank you. You've got them under control again. It's in the wrist, Nancy. What would it take 
to get this operation back on track here. Stools all round the walls, Nancy. Tiered sheeting for all, Nancy. Service transferred to the nook, Nancy, and my piano up 14 inches. Stools all round the walls, Nancy. Tiered sheeting for all, Nancy. Service transferred to the nook, Nancy, and his piano up 14 inches. That sounds like the project you were going to lay out for me last year. But he never got round to it. Oh, I got around to it all right, Nancy. I just gave it to the wrong person. I was thinking you hadn't bothered. What I think Don't think, George. Look what happens when you think. Big feckin' confessional boxes pop up everywhere. It's a poachway. And you're a postbox. Can I ask you, everyone, when you come back next year, wouldn't it be nice to think you could enjoy Danny's music here at the Old Red... Same as before. With due respect, ma'am, if you've come 5,000 miles to see Danny, another 35 feet to next door ain't gonna trouble you. (laughs) He won't be next door. He'll be here. We'll get rid of that confessional box. Never liked it anyway. Nancy, you told me not 15 minutes ago in the office that Danny was more trouble than he's worth. I said that when I thought he was going far away. If he stays here, Nancy, every time he doesn't get his own way, he'll be saying, my mate Kate wants me next door, and you'll be bending over backwards to placate him. It's impossible. He has a point. Yes, he has. It'd be unfair. He wouldn't last. He couldn't do his job, which is all he has. Baby, won't you dance with me? You have to turn everything into a bleeding song and dance. That's why we're here, George. Well, maybe I'm the one who should not be here. Ah, George. It gives me such a warm feeling to hear those words emanate from your mouth. But before you pack your bags, can I verify one little point with Kate? Kate, my sweetie, when you made me an offer to go work for you next door, did you check that with them? My husband, Calvin. Yeah, your man. Ooh, I might have forgot. Maybe tonight I can catch him in a good mood. You know, Nancy, just looking at Estelle's face when George mentioned he might be leaving, how sad she looked. How sad she always looks. So I was thinking how Estelle and George could settle down here in this fine town and have a little family of really annoying children, although these things often skip a generation. Whereas me, I can't beat tonight. I'll never top this. Oh, Jesus. You're not crying, are you? Go when you're at your pinnacle. I am crying, Fran. Don't go, don't go, don't go, What are you talking about? You live all over the world. Tomorrow morning you'll hop on planes and fly back to your white picket fences in Sydney, Australia, Charlotte, North Carolina, Eindhoven, Frankfurt or Kathmandu. And I'll have to tour the globe to chase you down. I said it has to be a happy song so everyone can sing along and then no matter what the day may bring you've made a happy start so somewhere in your happy heart you'll find a happy song that you can sing With the whole crowd standing, I duck low and quietly slip out the back door. I'm not great at goodbyes. As I head up the street to Mary Dolan's B&B, where I'm booked in, it's not raining anymore, so you'd probably catch that tear in my eye. 
From this room, I can watch you all filter out through the red door. I'm finding it hard to let go. You are more than filtering out that door. You are marching in formations, like something from Les Mis. Heads are popping out all along the street. It's midnight, but no one's complaining. They are waving from the windows, and you are waving back. What does she believe in? And many subjected to the few. To the powerful have the right to trample on the rest. As you pass below my room, I'm thinking, I'd love to run down and attach myself to the back of the parade. Citizens of the world, come and join the party. Are you ready to partake in something new? Are we here to be restrained by inflexible tradition? Or is the revolution overdue? Or I could just lay back on this comfy pillow and let it all go. Who is the citizen? What does she believe in? Are the many subjected to the few? Do the powerful have the right? To trample on the rest, or is the revolution overdue? Who is the citizen? What does she believe in? Are the many subjected to the few? Do the powerful have the right to trample on the rest, or is the revolution overdue? What are you asking for a really good friend? The Piano Man is written by Desi Walls, directed by Anne Shanahan and features Desi Walls, Lisa Marie Murphy, Andrew Scat Scattergood, Susan Hennessy, Michael Ryan, Sean Kelleher and Terry Gordon. It was produced at Creation Studios, County Kerry. The Piano Man was supported by a grant from the Broadcasting Authority of Ireland as part of the Sound and Vision Scheme.